Well, it really is a, a privilege to be joining with you again. I bring greetings, obviously, from Brackenhurst, from BBC to CBC. And uh, thank you for giving us this opportunity to come and share the word with you. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please turn with me to Psalm 100. And as you do that, let me just assure you of our, our prayers for you all, our thoughts, and during what is a, is a difficult time in the life of your church. But we know who is in control, and we trust and we bring you before him and placing um, the ongoing ministry here in his hands. As you, as you turn there, let me ask you a little question. Who would you really like to meet in person? A famous celebrity or a, somebody in authority, somebody that wields some position of power? You, you, you'd really like to go and meet this person. You'd go and have a haircut. You'd go and wash your car to drive there. You'd go get a nice new outfit. You'd go through storms to get there. Who is that that you'd like to go? You can tell the person sitting next to you quickly. You don't have to tell us. But think about who would you go out of your way to specifically go and meet. Now those, those feelings that are welling up inside you there, you can think, oh, that would be really nice if I could meet so-and-so. And those, those visceral longings, those intentions of your heart, they, they very well might be satisfied if you do meet that person, if you do spend some time with them. And certainly, there'll be a nice selfie of you with this person and your Facebook profile will get lots of hits and likes and all the rest. And it's amazing to think that we would go to great lengths just to be able to meet somebody famous and to have a picture taken with them. Well, in Psalm 100, we are forced to consider our approach to meeting somebody of great significance, somebody of great power and authority and influence, somebody who's worth more than all the riches of the world, somebody indeed who is to be feared and revered. But in contrast with us meeting somebody of a local celebrity, this person that we are called to meet here, he does the drawing. He says, come and meet with me. He is the instigator in drawing our attention to himself. In fact, all of history, all of history, all of your life, all of your experiences that you have been through in your life thus far, have brought you, directed you to the purpose of meeting with this person. We are, of course, talking about how Grateful people from all over the world, from every tribe and nation and tongue, are to approach the only true, majestic, mighty, faithful creator and sustainer, the sovereign king of the universe, the, the Lord God Almighty. And as we approach him, that approach that we do direct ourselves to is called worship. The, the intentional giving of thanks and praise and honor and acknowledgement to the one who is worthy. So Psalm 100, is, uh, the, as Martin Luther said, it's the great hundredth. The, a song of praise for the Lord's faithfulness to his people, a psalm of thanksgiving. Verse 1 says, Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before his presence with singing. Know 
that the Lord, He is God. It is He who has made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. Be thankful to Him and bless His name. For the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and His truth endures to all generations. Father, we pray as we consider these wondrous truths from your word this morning that you would open the eyes of our, of our hearts that we may see these wondrous truths contained in your word. But help us, Lord, not just to see these on some sort of an intellectual level, but to internalize them and appreciate them and then to live them out in our daily lives. We do pray, Lord, for the effective working of your spirit to lead us and convict us, to make us perceptive to areas where, where we need to be changed, where we need to conform our lives to the image of Jesus Christ, our Savior. So thank you for these opportunities. Make us very good stewards of these opportunities. Even right now we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So the preceding seven psalms um, from Psalm 93 are known as a collective as the royal or the kingly psalms. And this, the kingly psalms tell us about the king and about his kingdom and about his reign and his, his sovereignty over his people. And then the, the, the hundredth psalm is a culmination of that. It's the capstone. It's the overarching triumph song of thankfulness that the people give to this king and saying, we acknowledge that you are the king. It is a short psalm. It's only five verses long, but it packs a punch. And the truths and the depths of this psalm are inexhaustible. And I'm not going to try and exhaust us today. But we're only going to really scratch the surface. And as always, you can go and delve deep into the depths of the psalm. We can't be sure of who the, the human writer of the psalm was. Some people do give it a, a Davidic origin. But we don't have any direct indication of who the, the human writer of the psalm was. The structure of the psalm is pretty basic. We've got verse 1 and verse 2 that give us an expression of praise. And then a thanksgiving, verse 1 and verse 2, an expression of praise, a thanksgiving because of what we know in verse 3. So we have an action based upon a fact in verse 3. And then the same thing is repeated. Verse 4, we have an action, enter into his gates. Because of verse 5, there is a fact or facts that we learn about the Lord. So we have actions based on fact. And then again, repeated, actions do something because of what you know about God. And who is this psalm written to there? Well, verse 1 makes it very clear. Make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands. That is specifically not just the nation of Israel. The kingdom psalms in, from, verse 90, from Psalm 93 were written to the nation of Israel, but here all the lands are called to give thanks to the Lord. And in this regard it is prophetic. Because as we know in Revelation chapter 7, um, John writes, After these things I looked and behold, a great multitude which no one could number, of all nations, 
tribes, peoples, and tongues standing before, before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed with white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And then the angels, even, and the four living creatures standing around the throne, they all join in and say, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. So here, not just the nation of Israel is called to this, but all nations, as evidenced before the throne of God in Revelation 7. This is God's everlasting intention. From before time, the Lord orchestrated all of history and all of your lives for this purpose, that there would be a multitude of people, a mixed multitude of people, coming before His throne to worship His name. God made man so that man would worship Him. God made you so that you would worship Him. And when the people that God made worship Him, God revels in it. That's why He made us. He is pleased and He's satisfied by the praises of His people. A.W. Tozer says that regarding true worship of the true God, that God wants to cultivate within us an adoration and admiration of which He is worthy. He wants us to be astonished at the inconceivable elevation and magnitude and splendor of Almighty God. Why, why does He want to do this? Why does God want us to be astonished by who He is? Because as you do that, He is glorified. And as you glorify Him, you become satisfied and content and full of joy. In, in, in the Lord's grand desire to have a people that would worship Him, He hasn't just said, okay, guys, just worship me. He's given us direction. He's given us instruction. He, he, he directs us to worship. He says, worship me. He causes us to worship by the things that he has done in our lives. And then he tells us, he instructs us how to worship him, as Psalm 100 does as well. So we want to see at, le at least three things from this psalm about how the Lord instructs us to worship him. And I would propose to you that meaningful worship entails the use of three of our faculties. It entails the use of our emotions, of our minds and our intellect, and then lastly of our bodies, our physical powers. And th those three are total person, all-encompassing, and they are inter interdependent. You can't have one and not the other two. You have to have all three of them so that the Lord is going to be most glorified in your worship of Him. If you do, if you do one of the three without the other two, it becomes a bit meaningless because if you, if you just praise the Lord but you don't have the mind conviction and you don't do the physical exertion, then all you're doing is you're just magnifying yourself. Anybody saying, oh look, he can sing and raise his hands and praise God meaningfully. But if you, if, you, if you praise the Lord and you don't know the Lord, then it's like what James says, that it's, it's, you're deceiving your own self. 
not having your heart and mind working together. Doing, doing something to praise the Lord but not having the heart behind it is hypocrisy. We don't want to be like that. So in first place, let's consider that this psalm teaches us that worshipping God must involve our emotions. We must be passionate in our praises. The psalm repetitively speaks about joy, about exuberant shouting and singing and thankful expressions of praise and delights that just burst forth into song. It just can't be restrained. And all the conservative Baptists say, Amen, amen brother. Amen. Make a joyful noise to the Lord. Shout and praise His name. Amen. He will. But how many conservative Baptists last night were yelling at the referee because there were 15 little boys running around on a rectangular field chasing an oblong ball and they were getting passionate and excited about this. I didn't watch the game, but I heard it wasn't very good. Um, and and, and your, your friend does something marvelous and you cheer for him and you shout and you encourage him and you go to some show and at the end you clap and you stand, you give a standing ovation. And yet when it comes to worshipping our God, we're subdued and we, we sit as idle spectators and we don't engage our hearts and our emotions into that. What, what, what type of shouting is this going on here? Make a joyful shout to the Lord. Well, that same word shout is, is used again, and you'll recognize this, when the Israelites shouted after they'd walked around the city walls of Jericho seven times on the, on the seventh day. They shouted the same shout that is described here, and the result was that the walls came tumbling down. This was the same shouting that the Israelites gave out when Goliath was, had his head chopped off by the little shepherd boy David. The same shout. It's the same shout that um, when, when Saul was made king of Israel and they lifted him up on their shoulders and said, this is our king. And they were giving him adulation. The same shout. When the, the, the captives returned from Babylon and the temple was rebuilt in Jerusalem and they saw this temple, they gave a great shout. It's the same shout that we see here. What reason do you, what reason do us, do we have to shout now? Well, do we not have a greater reason? For there's somebody greater than Joshua that has been our commander and has led us to conquer those city walls. There is someone greater who has defeated not just the giant from Gath, but has defeated sin and hell and death. There is, there is nothing much to shout about in terms of our leaders in our country at the moment. And we certainly don't want to shout around buildings made of stone and brick and whatever. But how much more then should our, our shouting, our exuberance, our passion be for the risen Lord who is ruling and reigning and sovereign now and forevermore? How did we just sing those songs that we sang? Oh, four, four times. Thank goodness he didn't say eight times. Oh, enough. 
come on, give me a break. I, I need to sit down. My legs are getting tired. I just want to sit down. It's hot. Where, where's our passion? Was it, was it an effort? Was it a drudgery? Do you say, oh, I just want to get through this? Or do you say, I get to sing praises to my God. He is an awesome God. An awesome God. Did you, did you belt it out like somebody who's really been transformed in their lives? That your greatest burden has been taken care of and that you don't have to worry about those things and so you can passionately engage with the Lord in worship. Jesus Christ is your eternal king and you want everybody to know that just in the way that you express yourself. How, how do we become more emotionally engaged? How do we get to the point where we can meaningfully stand and sing with real meaning. It's great, isn't it, that you, you sometimes you're in a worship service and you can see somebody and they look like they are standing in the very throne room of heaven and they're worshiping God. And you say, oh, I want that as well. Well, how do you get that? How can you meaningfully and deliberately sing and praise with joy and with gladness? Well, I think part of that, not the whole answer to that, but part of that answer is made up in the other two aspects of proper worship that we find in the psalm. That the, the first one is, let's, let's be emotionally engaged in our worship. But the second part is, like, is that we must engage our minds when we worship God. Verse 3 says the first word there, know that the Lord is good. Know that the Lord, He is God. Verse 5, for the Lord is good. Verse 3 and verse 5, they set out the facts that we should be able to grapple with and to understand and work through so that once we have apprehended those facts, our hearts can be directed to worship. Passionate praise, emotionally engaging praise is not a brainless activity. It's not just standing there, turning off your brain, waving your arms and singing. But it is an engagement of your faculties. It's not just the mindless repetition of mindlessly repetitive worship songs that unfortunately has crept into the church in some, in some cases. Proper worship requires that you, that you switch on your mind, that you consider the realities, the truths about the God who you are praising. Worship is intelligent in that respect. Now, that doesn't mean that you need to be Albert Einstein or one of his distant relatives so that you can worship the Lord properly. Thankfully, because otherwise not many of us would be able to worship. But it does mean that we must apply our minds. We must be mindful of, of who we're singing to, who we are singing about, we must think about the character qualities and the actions and the, the history of the Lord. And when we do that, then we can really worship sincerely and thankfully. Verse 3, know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us and not we ourselves. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. Verse, verse 2 does, it provides us with more to think about than we could almost ever have enough time for. Just some of these attributes that are mentioned in these short verses. Attributes 
but which you can go to the back, the little library at the back there, and you can go find books, volumes of books written about specific parts of these character qualities of God. The fact that he's, he's self-existent. Nobody made him. He's eternal. He is without beginning. He is without end. And we can't understand because our minds are so limited. There is no other. Nobody, no one else can compare. Nothing can compare. He has made us. So much could be said about that verse. And, and the follow-up that he has made us. And the follow-up, not we ourselves. That verse specifically, I think, describes how the Lord has performed not only his creative miracle in creating the world and all the people in it, but also the recreation of that people. A people that he has called apart, put his name on, and set aside for his purposes. This group of people that he has made and remade, people from every land, they have been united through his action, through his action in sending Jesus Christ, our Lord. We see that verse 2 again, sorry, verse um, 3, it is he who has made us and not we ourselves. There are many people nowadays walking around saying that they are self-made men. They couldn't be more wrong. Anybody, regardless of what they think about the Lord, is only there because of the Lord's gracious intervention in their lives. If the Lord, the Lord made everybody, everybody in this room and everybody in this town and everybody in this province from the same dust. And if we realize that, if we say that the Lord is who made all of us, then there's no reason to get anxiety and concerned about when the naturalists and the evolutionists start coming along and they say, oh, we've discovered a new homo naledi on the drive through this morning. We saw some homo naledi lodge on the way here. And, and you know, the whole Sturkventine area is just blossoming under this conception of homo naledis and all the rest. But we don't have to get rattled by that because we know the truth that he has made us. We haven't made ourselves. We don't have to cower before a godless world system that says that you Christians are so narrow-minded and you're closed and you're anti-science and you're anti-intellectualism because you believe that. No. The Lord has made us all. Don't let the scientists rob you just of that simple reality and the deep blessing of knowing where you come from. The, again, the scientists would, would portray the Christian understanding of the origin of man as being simplistic and anti-science and anti-intellectual. But actually, if you look at verse 3, acknowledging him as the creator, acknowledging the Lord, the almighty God, as the creator, is the most basic and therefore the most intelligent assumption that you could do. And when you do assume that, it's also most comforting to you to say that I don't have to worry about it. The Lord made me. One of, the, one of the real downfalls of the evolutionary mindset, the biggest flaw really, relates to what they have to do with other people who you assume have evolved out of the 
primordial scum pond yourself. Okay, so if if we all grew out of some little pond and grew tails and then tail lost tails and started whatever. Okay, I don't even they don't even know what they're talking about. But if this were true, then you have to follow it logically further on and say that the reason that some people really succeed in this world and really prosper and the reason that other people don't must be because the people that really did succeed and are climbing the, the ladders of success is because they are better. That they are better equipped, they are fitter because the fitter survive. So if you believe in an evolutionary mindset, you have to logically say that there are people that are in those positions because they are better than their fellow humans. That they have been given some sort of a genetic advantage and therefore they are better. They are able to survive better. And so therefore, if some people are better, then it's fine to discriminate and say, okay, look, I'm better. I don't have to regard you because I have climbed higher up some imaginary evolutionary ladder than you have. It, it allows room for racism and for discrimination just based on physical characteristics, on intellect, all those type of things. But our psalmist says here that we must know that people from all lands were made by the same creator and have the same opportunity and the same responsibility to praise him for doing so. For making, the law, for making us all the same. The, the status or the position that anybody achieves in their short stay here on earth has nothing to do with their abilities, their decisions. Because, as it says, it is he who made us and not we ourselves. This, I don't know if you've been following the, the fees must fall campaign in the universities. And they are right in so many ways. Because far too long, our country, our people in our country have been discriminated against based on superficial, immoral, unjust, ungodly, unbiblical false assumptions. We are all made by the same God. We are all made to worship Him and to do so joyfully. It's only when we start having a misunderstanding of the truth that God made us all, that we come to such unjust, immoral, and bigoted practices. So then you say, yeah, yeah, we hear that, but it's been 21 years of freedom and democracy. But you can't just erode those scars and those inequalities and those injustices. They still run deep. And they will continue to do so, unfortunately in some form or the other until this happens until all the lands come before his presence with singing and shouting joyfully to him saying that it is he who made us and not we ourselves it is he who gives us grace and it's not because we have earned it it is he who has sent his son to be the savior of all who call upon his name so do you know do you know him to be your creator like this 
It's going to be displayed then in the way that you approach and address other people in your life. It's going to be displayed then in your passionate and your intelligent praise alongside all the people that he has made. So the question is, will you determine and be intentional and deliberate in knowing the Lord like this? We've just taken one issue there. But there are so many more facets that you can apply your knowledge of the Lord and how he works in the world to your life. That, can you see how, as you do that, as you think about how the Lord influences all those things, that it guides your praise. And you can say, well, Lord, you, you have made us all. Isn't it a wonderful thing to be able to join with my fellows, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, no matter what we look like and where we come from, to praise you. And you can extend that to so many other areas. But also, in the, the end part of verse 3 there, we are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Not only do we know that he is the creator, but we must also know that he is our tender carer. We are his people and the sheep of, pasture, of his pasture. Well, again, who? Who is? All the people from all the lands who by his grace have been made part of his heavenly kingdom. So this portrays for us in the psalm, again, a prophetic vision. A prophetic vision that speaks about this royal king who has chosen not just a nation of Israel, but has chosen people from all nations and all aspects of life to come to the special place in redemptive history to worship him. Here, people from every land are brought together for the express purpose of praising his name, for giving him thanks. That's, that's God's intention for why we are here this morning. Why is CBC meeting on the Lord's Day in October? 1 Corinthians 6.19, you guys know this verse. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? That sounds familiar. For you were bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He has made us, but he hasn't just made us that we can do our own things. He has made us so that we would respond to him in praise and thanksgiving. And as we do that, we can do that understanding that he doesn't just made us, but he cares for us. Romans 8, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not with him also freely give us all things follow follow the writer's reasoning here if the lord god went to the length of offering his son to redeem a people from their greatest need for delivering deliverance of, of their sin how much more then will he continue to care for them as a shepherd does his sheep so he delivers them from their greatest need and he doesn't just hold them there 
Turn to praise and just want to say thank you, Lord, for that great work. And I don't have to be worried and anxious about what the future holds because I know you hold the future and you hold me in your future. Why do we get so glum? Why are we so miserable and anxious about events in our life? We pick up the newspapers and listen to the news and we go, oh, this, this, and that. Why? If he is our creator and he is our carer, do we not have everything to trust in him and say, you are in control? We, we don't live with this overfly, overflowing thankfulness and expressions of, of gratitude because we, we're guarded and we're reserved and we, we're cowardly. We're embarrassed. But the Lord wants you and he's offering you the opportunity to know of the beauty and the blessing of knowing that he is in control. He is the greatest shepherd. The greatest shepherd that cares for his sheep. And he made us so that he could care for us. And as he cares for us, we turn around and we praise him and he gets the glory. Verse 5 Similarly, it sets before us a, another fact that we need to apply our minds to. We need to put our thinking caps on. And it's, again, so easy just to skim over these verses and not let them penetrate our hearts and our minds. The Lord is our creator, yes. He's our carer. But he's also our faithful and true covenant keeper. For the Lord, it says in verse 5, for the Lord is good. Not good as in not naughty so it's not saying that the lord is not naughty it's saying that he is good good as in what the lord said at the end of every day of creation that the lord looked and said that is good that there is nothing wrong with it that it is flawless that it is whole it is perfect it is complete there's nothing that's tarnished about it at all the lord is good his mercy is Everlasting, His mercy, his, his chesed, this, this deep and beautiful kindness that has in times past been, been showered on those that he has chosen to redeem. That same mercy and that same goodness is going to be continually given to the people to all generations. It is everlasting. All generations have and will continue to know of the truest and most sincere loving kindness because he has promised that and he always keeps his promises one of the reasons we don't see the Lord living this out is because we are so deficient in our promise keeping in our keeping up the end of the, the covenant promises the Lord says, I will be your God and you will be my people if you obey my commandments. And yet, we just want the Lord to just do his bit, his side, 
and we don't follow him by keeping his commandments. The Lord won't change his mind. He never tires of keeping his promises. He will preserve you to the end and he will present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. That is a fact, Christian. Christian, that is a fact. This is not some hope, just some airy-fairy wish. This is truth. So understand that and then realize that, apply your mind to that, know that he will do this. He has promised that he will be faithful to do this. Then that allows you then to do your bit, to keep his commandments and to turn around and to praise him. Let that penetrate and sink into your heart into your mind and then into your heart and your expression. I don't know if you guys know Mark Hall, who's the the lead singer um, of the band called Casting Crowns. He wrote in the prelude to one of their songs, he said that if you're not getting into the word of God for him to define himself to you, what's probably going to happen is that you're going to start defining God with what makes sense to you. And so what makes sense to you is, oh, I better do good here, otherwise I'm going to get into trouble. You know, if, if, if I don't do my devotions today, the Lord's not going to hear my prayers. Or he's only going to stick with me for as long as, as I do my bit, and I'm just going to blow it, so I'm not going to stick with him. That's not what the Bible picture is. God didn't just put you here just so that you could just survive through difficult times. He put you here to thrive, which is what a believer, a a follower of Jesus would look like if they dug their roots deep down in trying to understand God and themselves in light of who God is. So he's saying, apply your minds, dig them deep into knowing God and thinking about how he is your creator and how he is your carer, and how he is the covenant keeper. And as you do that, you're not just going to survive in this world, but you're going to thrive. Our our psalm describes the difference that knowing God makes here. It makes you joyful. It gives you gladness. It turns hearts that are stony into hearts that are thankful and praise and bless him. And as you do that, other people around you will say what is up with this person they they lead a life that is so different from everybody else everybody else is just going around all the time morbid and introspective and depressed and moaning and groaning about every situation but here they are praising and being thankful for what i want to know that in my own life part of a part of an effective christian witness to a watching world is to actually act like God is what he says he is in his word. So if you believe this to be true by God, if you know this, you believe it, and you act on it, there is no, no much greater effective witness to the world. So engaging our emotions to the glory of God and being passionate worshippers is certainly a core that we see in Psalm 100. Engaging our minds in intelligent worship knowing that he's our creator and our carer and our covenant keeper is called for but if these processes just happen inside you that 
there's no external expression of this, what good is that? So we are called also in the psalm to use our bodies physically to express these truths. Serve the Lord. In verse 2, serve the Lord. Come before his presence with singing. Serving the Lord is literally be compelled. Because of what has happened in your life, you are compelled. You are, you are driven to this point. You are a bond servant to the Lord, devoting all your efforts and all your devotion to be a true worshiper. Listen, I, I'm pretty sure the same situation is in Rustenburg as it is in Alberton. That if you ask anybody, oh, how was your day? Oh, busy, traffic, roadworks, 20-minute delays at stop and goes. How was your day? We're all busy. We're all just, we get to the end of the day and we just want to collapse because we're all busy. But we are busy with things that don't necessarily display our intention that we want to be a bondservant of the Lord, that we want to serve Him with gladness. This, this verse isn't telling us what we must do, but it is telling us what we have the privilege to be able to do. You have the privilege as a believer who knows God to be able to serve Him. Perhaps if we, if we viewed these instructions as the blessing that it is, rather than as a, as a heavy weight or a burden, then it wouldn't be a drudgery, and we would do it more willingly. We would see greater consistency in our worship, greater consistency in our fellowship with one another, in our witness to other people, in speaking intentionally about the Lord. Do you realize that it is a privilege to serve the Lord is a privilege to be called by His name. The, the, the maker of all things gains pleasure. He gains, he gains pleasure and He gives reward when the people that He has called worship Him. So in your life, worship Him. God is pleased by that. And you are rewarded by that as well. Come before him, humbly bow, intentionally worship him, become a bond servant to him. What, what does it mean there to, to serve the Lord with gladness? How do we how do we do that? So basically the, the, there are two ways that you can serve somebody. Okay? For those guys that were in the army, you didn't want to go to the army, but you had to go and serve because you were serving the country, because there was a threat there. And you had to go and do it. And ugly things would happen to you if you slipped up. And so you can serve somebody out of a, at a sense of obligation that I just have to go and do this. And so in your service to that person, very often you don't give your best. And you're timid and retiring and anxious because you don't want to slip up. The other side is that you can serve somebody and show them that to do so is a delight. It's a delight to you. That serving them is a thrilling thing for you. So when you consider that the Lord, that our, our service to the Lord doesn't do anything to the Lord. It doesn't make Him greater. 
He's not lacking anything because we're not serving him. So our service doesn't contribute to his worth at all. And if you realize that, then you are free to just worship him with abandon and say, I worship everything. I throw everything into you. I don't have to be reserved and hold back because I know that nothing negative is going to happen to me from serving you. So we serve in them with real joy, with thankfulness, because we know that, that he will receive thankfulness and praise, and he is pleased by that. And when he is pleased, we in turn get blessed. Why don't we? Why don't we come and serve the Lord with the gladness that we should? If you, that, that celebrity, that person that you wanted to meet as we started this message, if that celebrity had to walk in here now, what would you do? Would you, I'm sure you'd, you'd go and quickly check your hair, make sure that you've you polished your shoes and you go up to them and you want to really meet them, you stand in line to meet them, you go out of your way to go and meet that person. And, and why? So that you can get a nice little pat on the back and a nice picture and some likes on your Facebook post or you can spend a little bit of time with them, whatever. Yeah, we understand that. And yet the Lord promises us immeasurable and bountiful and exceedingly abundant above all that you can ask or think blessings to those that know him and love him and serve him. And yet we just continued in we just continued in our pained, emotionless, dispassionate going on in our life. The words come and enter in verse two and in verse four, they they do display a deliberate choice for you to subject your body to doing what it doesn't naturally want to do. Yesterday, when your alarm went off at half past four, you jumped out of bed because you were going to go run a race somewhere and you're meeting with all your friends and you're training for some event or there was a party last night and you made sure that you were there and you got ready on time. When your alarm goes off during the week for work, you jump out of bed, I'm sure. Hey? You jump out of bed and you get ready so that you can go and, and do your work. Today, your alarm went off. You didn't have anything that you had to do. But you had a choice. And you said, I am going to come and enter his gates with thanksgiving and enter into his courts with praise. Today and every Lord's Day and every other day, in fact, we have that blessed opportunity, that glorious privilege to come and join with fellow worshippers in expressing our thanks to him. And so it's time that we get our lazy bags of bones and say, I have a choice here. And I'm going to use my choice to make a joyful shout to the Lord. I am going to heed his call. When he says, come and enter, I'm going to say, yes. I'm getting up. And I'm going, I'm going to use this, my body, and I'm actually going to do what he commands. And as you come, you do so on a bended knee. The, verse, the, the word bless in verse 4 there, um, and bless his name, is also used elsewhere in the Bible as kneel. Not kneel, but kneel. The, the verb, not the noun. 
This, this humbling act of kneeling before him, it shows proper respect and it and honors the one before whom you are coming to bow. There's no man that can come before God with thankfulness unless he has first bowed his knee in surrender to him. The Lord is not magnified by some fake praise from somebody whose heart has not been changed. Somebody first needs to be a Christian. They need to know about God and believe that Jesus was sent to be their deliverer from their sins. And as they do so, then they can come before him and bow in surrender. We are called Christians to bless his name. His name his name embodies all of his character. A character that we know from the psalm to be good and gracious and merciful and kind and faithful. This God is the object of our heartfelt thanks. So true and appropriate worship, therefore, is to be driven on our knees before this awesome God. Worship is not just the first 30 minutes of a gathering of Christians. Worship is not just the mere vocalization of songs and words to a tune, but it is apprehending and encountering and, express and, and, and experiencing the God who has revealed himself to us in his name. So as we close, passionate, intelligent praise and the subjection of our body on a bended knee is what true worship looks like. So let us think about this, this psalm then. How we can engage our emotions, our heart, how we can engage our mind and our intellect, and how we can sub subject our bodies to falling before him in true and proper worship. Let's pray. Father, we do count it as a privilege to become before the creator and the sustainer of all life, the author of all truth, the source and the fountain of all knowledge. And yet we come before you and we also acknowledge that we in ourselves are so deficient and we get caught up with our own little things and our own imaginations and we think that we are so smart and clever, but yet we know that it is a, a futile end and a futile way of leading our lives. We do pray, Lord, that as we think about Psalm 100 and as we meditate on it further throughout this week, that you impress upon us again just the need for a full emotional engagement in our worship. Teach us what it means to be connected in worship to you. Give us a, a, an upwelling of joy in our hearts that is expressed in our worship. Help us to think deeply about your character and what you have done and are doing in us and through us. And lastly, Lord, give us the ability to subject our bodies to be meaningful worshippers. Help us to bow before you, to set aside our own preferences and to um, worship you with all of our faculties together. We do this because you are worthy. May you be pleased by the worship that has transpired here already today. And that will continue throughout the rest of our, our day and our days. 
We thank you for these opportunities. And again, Lord, keep us faithful to them, even as you are faithful to your promises. In Jesus' name we pray.